0: In Luke 21, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple in the end times, which are separate events. Now, let's look at the temple. It was originally built by Solomon and then later destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Seventy years after that, it was rebuilt, but the complaint was hey, it's just not as pretty as the first one. So, right before Jesus is born, King Herod does the Jews a favor by renovating the temple and adds a bunch of gold and stuff to it. Now, for the Jews at the time, the temple was important because was God's embassy on earth. It's where he literally resided. When Jesus and his disciples visit the temple, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. Now his point is do not focus on earthly things that are temporary because your salvation is eternal. Now Luke was written between 55 and 60 AD and it turns out that the temple was actually destroyed by Roman Emperor Titus in the year AD 70. Now remember the Romans occupied Israel and many Jews disagreed that Gentiles should rule over them in their land. So these zealots organized and killed many Romans. So finally, Emperor Titus had enough and he sent in uh, his huge army to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. It was a pretty difficult day for Jews, but hey, that's Jesus' message. The point is, focus on eternal things and not on temporal, earthly things. So there you go. A little bit about the destruction of the temple, and that's enough today for our historical minute.
1: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, open up our hearts and our minds um, to understand your word today. Some of the words are challenging as you laid out predictions that were difficult, but even predictions even have not yet occurred that we're still waiting for. But as we heard from Mike, Lord, help us to realize in the midst of all the challenges and difficulties that things are still under your control, that through you we have victory even in the face of difficult circumstances. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, we're in chapter 21 of Luke, and we're going to be picking up with um, verse 10. I want to do a quick review where we kind of left off last week in verses 5 through 9, because there it's laying out, Jesus lays out the prediction of what's going to happen with the temple. It's going to be destroyed, not one stone left on top of another. And as we heard there, it's going to happen um, sometime later, around 70 AD after Jesus' time. um, There's a question last week, I got at the very end, I didn't get a chance to get to it. And it says, it's in Luke twenty-one nine. Is it also talking about the end times? Um, that many may um, come trying to turn and select, or, and, and the elect away from God, and that the end times will not come at once, but will um, be a buildup. And so what's going on here is Jesus is really talking about two things simultaneously. He's talking about events that are gonna occur in the not-too-distant future, but he's also talking about the end times as well. And so he's talking about two things simultaneously. And we see this quite often with the prophets. They'll be talking about, You know, the current day was happening as far as destruction and and things are going to happen. But they're also talking sometimes about things that are going to happen, you know, sometimes thousands of years later. And so keep that in mind as we go through this section. It's talking about, yeah, the temple being destroyed, Jerusalem being destroyed. But it's also talking about the end times, what's going to happen before the end. And even things that are happening even right now is where we're living in currently. So verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Is this a new thing? Yes or no? Nope. It's been happening for thousands of years. Just got done. I'm doing a study on Daniel right now as I'm going through the Bible in a year and kind of working ahead in the videos. And It's amazing how in in Daniel, God lays out for him what's going to happen as far as the Babylonian reign, then the Persians, and the Greeks, and the Romans. And he can see all the way up to the very things that Jesus is going to talk about today as far as the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And this happened quite some time before these all things all took place. Moving on. And there will be, I'm sorry, verse 11. There will be great earthquakes... Is that a new thing? Especially news here recently. I've got a um, couple of pastors I, I talked to in California, and they, they felt these latest earthquakes. And I, I can't imagine, you know, feeling an, an earthquake. Um, you know, years ago, uh, remember when they had pagers? Okay, I got a pager years ago, and I was wearing it for like probably a couple months. Nothing ever happened, never went off. One time in a bank, and the pager went off. And I thought it was an earthquake, so I hit the ground. I thought, this is going to be it. And I was just a pager. I can't imagine all the buildings shaking, and, and um, but earthquakes, you know, we are blessed here in, in Arizona, we think about, it, okay, we don't get earthquakes, right? We don't get um, tornadoes or hurricanes, um, get rattlesnakes, we get heat. But compared to some places, we don't have it that bad here. Um, In fact, someday, if they're talking about this big earthquake that's going to happen Sunday, we might have beachfront property here in Arizona. I don't know. But um, these things have been going on for quite some time as far as all these different calamities and natural disasters. And in various places, famines and pestilences. Is that new? No. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now, the signs probably from heaven aren't as scary for us in this day and age. But imagine many years ago, um, you know, say, you know, 500 years ago and Halley's comets going over the top of your head. It's like, what is that? You know, um, we understand more about astronomy, what's going on now. But, but still, you know, things like this do happen. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. You know, Jesus is holding nothing back here. There's going to be a lot of tough things going on, okay? There's going to be stuff happening with the earth. There's going to be stuff happening as far as nations against nations and wars and pestilences and famines. Now he's saying to his followers, guess what? It's going to get really rough for you too. But he goes on in verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. I believe we're living in a time when it's open season more and more in Christianity. Even in our own society. It's, it's, you know, the it's escalating, this persecution of Christians. And there's going to be times when it's going to get really rough. But he's, you know, Jesus is saying here, it's going to happen, but it's going to give you an opportunity, okay? What kind of an opportunity? To show our faith, to show what we're made of. You can call it the orange juice principle, okay? You take an orange and you squeeze it, what comes out? the juice. Under pressure, the true substance of who we are comes out. And the promise that Jesus gives here is in the face of these difficult situations, he's going to give us the right words to say at the right time. Ever happened to you when you're in a challenging situation and all of a sudden the words just flow? It's like, wow. You know, I've been there with sermons sometimes. I've had some weeks in, in my ministry where a lot happened. And I showed up on a Sunday morning and I wasn't very prepared, okay? Talk about pressure. And I hate to say it, but those turned out to be some of my best sermons ever. know, people say, wow, that was a really great sermon, Pastor John. It's like, I wasn't hardly even there. I was just showing up and God gave me the words to say. Um, I truly believe this. It does happen. You know, I was, I was reading again this last week about Stephen, what he said when he was in front of the, the Jewish people that were persecuting him, they were going to kill him. If you read his sermons, just what he wrote is amazing. What he said was amazing as far as his faith and sharing who Jesus is. These people are about to kill him. and said his face glowed like an, like an angel. So in the midst of challenging times so often, it gives us an opportunity to shine. The early Christian church grew to a great extent because of what? persecution. Okay. Jesus told the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and at the ends of the earth. He didn't go into detail how. Guess what forced them out of Jerusalem? Persecution. And after they left Jerusalem, a lot of the Jews started following them and forced them further out. When you follow the ministry of Paul, the Jewish people kept trying to, to pursue him, try to put him out of commission, try to kill him. And so Christianity has spread to a great extent because of persecution. It's pushed us out. And even as martyrs have died so often, their testimony is amazing. We go on. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. Can anybody hear this sound like a real fun thing? Yeah, I want to be a Christian. This sounds like a lot of fun, right? Being a Christian can be a very challenging thing, okay? But let me tell you something. For a Christian, there is no such thing as what? Death. Are you with me? There's no such thing as death. We have life here. And we have life where? In heaven. Which one's better? Heaven. You know, it's Paul who says to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's in prison when he writes this. He's not sure if he's going to get out alive. He says, you know what? I'd rather die <laughs> because if I die, I'm going to go where? I'm going to heaven. I'm going to live in heaven. But for your sake, I think I'm going to be freed and I'm going to keep on working for a while and serving. And so I really want to encourage us in this life to have less fear of death, okay? And I'm convinced of this. The less you fear death the more free you are to live. Catch that? The less you fear death, the more free you are to live. I think I've shared this before, but I, I had a friend um, who helped people design wills for their family. And he kept telling me that if you, once you design your will, you live longer. You live like five to 10 years longer. I said, you're nuts. What are you talking about? He says, because once you get all your affairs in order, you have less what? Stress. Less worry. What so often kills us younger is stress and, and worry. And that's not what God wants for us. He's saying, don't worry. I'm going to give you the right things to say at the right time. The worst thing that can happen to you is you're going to what? Die. Does that sound bad? It sounds bad to us as human beings. But as Christians, we think, you know what? That takes me home. <laughs> I get to go to heaven. And know it sounds very different than the world's way of looking at things, but is it the truth? Is it the reality of what really is happening in our lives as Christians? Verse 17, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You'll be hated. Okay, like I hope there's not any like really new Christians or people exploring the Christian faith here right now. It's like, why would I want to do that? They're going to hate me. They're going to kill me. What's I tell you what. Again, we look at things from the earthly perspective. God looks at things from a very different perspective. And I've shared this illustration before. I want to do it again. And so you you take a loom and you have the, the, the person working in the loom. Okay, so you have this person creating this beautiful masterpiece on the top of the loom. What does it look like under the loom? It's a mess because there's strings hanging all over the place, right? What part of the loom are we looking at? the underside of the loom, right? God sees the top of the loom, and to him everything is beautiful. And someday we're going to see that same picture. Just sometimes kind of hard to see it here on this earth. He goes on, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now, he just said we might die. He just said people are going to hate us. How is not a single hair of our, of our head going to be not messed up? Or how are we going to, you know, like a contradiction there? What's he talking about? What life is he talking about? Eternal life, okay? He's talking about eternal life here. And we need to think in terms of that. You know, when it comes right down to it, the max capacity of this life here is 120 years, okay? And I sure hope I don't live that long, okay? That's, that'd be too long but heaven's for how long? Ever and ever and ever. It's going to be incredible. And we're not going to be sitting on some harp playing a cloud, or uh, cloud playing a harp. It's going to be way better than that. And just to realize heaven's going to be absolutely amazing. And so we go on the next section. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies that know that its desolation has come near, but let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people." They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Here, Jesus is being more graphic about what's going to happen, you know, like 30, 40 years later. And it's not pretty. You know, Josephus um, writes about what happened when, when Jerusalem was destroyed and titus was the, the emperor and it was you know there's about 1.2 million people inside of jerusalem is believed at that time less than 100,000 survived that's how bad it was a lot of them died before they even breached the walls from starvation and just lack of food and water it was is a terrible terrible time and does it seem like is god punishing them who brought the problem upon themselves, right? Who did? It was their own situation. You know, you look at the history of the Old Testament, even look at the history of even here, that when people rebel against God, things fall apart. The world's always a mess. Even as Christians, sometimes the world's still a challenge all around us. In a little bit, I want to talk about how do we deal with that. But God's not up there striking, throwing lightning bolts at these people, You know, they rebelled against the authorities. You know, all along Jesus said, even last week we talked about how Jesus dealt with taxes. He said, you know, he took out a coin and said, whose face is on it? Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God's what is God's. The bottom line is the Roman Empire was in control. And in 66 AD, the Jewish people did rebellion against the Roman Empire. And finally, after four years of being frustrated with this, the Roman Empire came in strong. And ruthlessly. And it's you know unfortunate that this had to happen, but it did. And a lot of terrible things happen in history. Let's go to the next section. And by one, one more thing, too, as far as the time that the Gentiles are fulfilled, so Jerusalem was controlled by Rome for quite some time. For several centuries afterwards, the Gentiles are going to be in control, but eventually that's going to change. Let's go to um, verse 25 there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Stop there for a second. Okay, so you can see he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Now he's talking about what? End times. Are these things new here? No. No. The roaring of the waves, hurricanes. We see what's happening down in New Orleans in the last couple of days. These things have been happening for quite some time in the waves and the sea. People fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So, all these calamities are taking place and they're going for quite some time. But what makes this one different is who comes in the clouds? Jesus, okay? When we see that, okay, that's it, folks. We know that now it's time. And he's saying here, when you see that time, it's time to celebrate. Because we're going where? We're going to heaven. Okay. When is Jesus coming back? I don't know. I hope he comes back in my lifetime. Because if he does, I never have to what? Experience physical death. Okay. Again, again, there's life here. There's life in heaven. But as far as going through the process of physical death, in fact, the Bible says what's going to happen when Jesus returns is first, there's, you know, three things that happen. The first thing is those who have died before us, what happens? Their bodies are resurrected form into perfect heavenly bodies, okay? For those of us next to who are alive and believe, we are taken to heaven and our imperfect bodies transformed into perfect heavenly bodies. I don't know about you, but I've been waiting for that six-pack stomach, but someday it's, it's going to come, okay? We're going to have these perfect heavenly bodies, whatever that means. Um, but it's going to be incredible. But the ones who are left behind are who? The unbelievers. Okay, those are the ones that are left behind. Now, the next section, let's go into the lesson of the fig tree. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you that this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now one thing I want to make clear is from the time of Jesus on, there was a feeling that he was going to come back when? Then, okay? um, The letter of Thessalonians that, that Paul writes two letters to them. It's a church that comes to faith really quickly. It was actually um, kind of an accident. He was sick. And, and what happened was he witnessed these people and they come to faith. However, they're so excited about their faith and so excited in believing that Jesus is going to come back in their lifetime that many of them, guess what they did? They stopped working. And so Paul's writing them, so you know what? Get to work. Live a normal life. We don't know when he's going to come back. If you follow Revelation, if you want to take it literally, what, a millennium is how many years? A thousand years. And so you want to take it literally, then right around the year 1,000, what should have happened? Jesus would have returned, right? If you study history in that time frame, most of the world came to faith around 1,000 that year. Okay? They came to faith. And then time goes by, and guess what? He didn't come. And they begin to kind of drift away again. And you think of all the different people who have come along in the last, you know, 30, 40 years and said, ah, Jesus is going to come back on this day at this time. And what happened every time? They're wrong. He's going to come back when he wants to come back, okay? We don't know when it's going to be. We have no reason to worry because if we believe in Jesus right now, guess what? We are Ready? And the parable of the fig tree is we can watch for certain signs. But this whole thing about wars and pestilences and earthquakes and signs in the skies, all these things, that's new, not new stuff, okay? That's been going for quite some time. You see Jesus, okay, then you know that this is it, okay? This is the real deal here. But there is one in, in, uh, in Matthew that talks about that before the end, the gospel must first be proclaimed where? The entire world. Okay, the, be, be proclaimed the entire world. Then the end will come. Do you think the gospel has been proclaimed to the entire world? I think we're getting close. Okay, um, I think some of the, t- the most difficult places to reach are probably some of the Islamic nations, where Islam basically holds a tight fist, saying if anybody strays, um, you're in big trouble. I think I told you about my roommate in college that I witnessed to and was Islamic, and he finally told me to stop witnessing. My dad will kill me. He will kill me if I become a Christian. And he meant it. And probably his dad would have done that. However, everywhere in the world, there is access to what? A computer. If you have access to a computer, you have access to what? Anything. Everything. So I believe it's, it's getting close. Even some of the third world countries, just in areas where you would not expect they have internet cafes. They may not have computers themselves, but they have internet cafes where they can see things online. It could happen in our lifetime, but then it's, even then it says not right away necessarily. First the gospel must be proclaimed the entire world. Then the end will come. That doesn't say exactly when. doesn't mean right away. It could be thousands of years after that. We don't know. And so really the point is we're not supposed to be worrying about it. And that kind of leads into this next section. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times. Okay, are we supposed to be a bunch of insomniacs? No, we're supposed to be alert. We'll get back down a little bit. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So I'm going to stop there for a second. Watch who? Watch others? Is that what it says? Okay. Watch the news? Watch who? Ourselves. Okay. Is that a natural thing for us? Watch ourselves? Is that fun? Usually it's the last thing we want to do is watch ourselves, right? Rather watch the news. Rather watch everybody else. Rather, you know, you go to the, you check out at the store and you got all these magazines about all these different people and, you know, so-and-so's got a third eye and -and so-and-so got abducted by aliens. It's like, wow, that's exciting stuff, you know. Because people want to escape from their own selves. Folks, Jesus wants us to have a great life now. You know, I got to be honest with you. Growing up Lutheran, I really Learned a lot about salvation by grace. Okay, I'm saved by grace. But I gotta be honest, I didn't learn a lot about how to have a great life now. Okay? And the more I've been studying the Bible, I see a lot of that there. And I wish I would have learned more of that when I was younger. In the series that we just finished, I believe in the mornings has a lot to do with how to have a great life now. And I want to do a little bit of a review. In fact, here's the the 10 things that we talked about. But I want to focus on the very first one we talked about in the series called Blessing. And some of you heard this story, but not all of you. That life is like a symphony. And God's playing this beautiful symphony. And it's amazing. And you're listening to the symphony, and it's incredible. But you're hearing this drumbeat in the distance. And you're just fixating on that drumbeat. And you think, you know what? I wish that thing would sound a little bit different. I don't like the way it sounds. And you get so fixated on it that eventually you're no longer doing what? Listening to the symphony. Okay? Some of you, is like the third time you heard this story. You're going to probably hear it a hundred times from me. Because let me tell you how we're, we're made as human beings. We have these things called neurons, and they're connected inside of us. We have millions and millions of neurons. Even our thoughts are connected with these neurons. And we're trained and socialized a certain way. And before I talk further about neurons, how many of you, okay, so in the story, to kind of finish the story, the drumbeat are the problems of life. The symphony are all the blessings from God. There's a hundred things going good. There's one thing going bad. And what are we doing? We're fixating on that one thing, right? Why? Because we're wired that way. And I was wired that way. I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I come from a family of warriors, okay? Um, I I look at my whole, my dad's side of the family in particular, Norwegian, um, Swedish, but they just worried. They just kept it all inside too. They bottled it up and just worried. And that's kind of how I was raised, how my neurons kind of formed. I'd be, you know, in bed at night sometimes thinking about the one problem, Okay, I'm not thinking about the symphony. I'm thinking, not thinking about the 100 great things going on. I'm thinking about that one bad thing. And I'm staying up to three or four in the morning. Anybody ever do that before? Why? Why do we do that to ourselves? Do we have to? No. We can change that whole con- concept. And so the concept of blessing is that we are abundantly blessed right now that God is blessing us all the time. Is salvation ours in Jesus Christ right now? Are our sins forgiven? Is there any sin in this room right now? It's all gone, okay? As far as the problems we face in this life, is God more powerful than our problems? Are the problems even that bad? Are they eternal? No, they're temporary things, right? And God can help us through any problem that we ever face. And so the key is to begin to change the way we think. And so you're laying in bed at night, Okay, I want you to start this exercise, okay? To change the neurons, to change the way you think. If you change the way you think long enough, the neurons begin to disconnect and reconnect in a different way, preferably in the right way, okay? And so you're laying in bed, and you're thinking about that one, that one problem. What are you gonna change? Right there, you just you gotta start talking to yourself. You gotta watch yourself, okay? Watch yourself, yep, yeah, there I'm doing it again. Okay, with me? I'm doing it again. First, you've got to be aware of it. Now, I'm going to change my thought process. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole chasing after that one problem When i got a hundred great things out here going great. You change the direction of your thought from that negative thing to what? The positive, the blessing. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to fall asleep. Whew. It's all fine. Because even when you break down your problems, and I'm not saying you can't deal with your problems. When you have a problem, deal with it. But then let it go. And once you come to a point where I can't do anything more about it, there's no reason to keep hanging on to it. And Jesus says time and time again, don't worry about tomorrow. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything but in everything and by prayer and petition. It's all in the Bible, how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to watch ourselves. And what I'm convinced more and more now as a pastor, that my calling is not just to help you understand the way to heaven, but I know that Jesus wants you to have a better life now And the more that we have a better life now and the more that we're living out there amongst an unbelieving world who's freaking out about everything, it talks about that here. They're all worried. They're all concerned. They see us calm and collect. Hey, what do you have that I don't have? How can I get some of that? And guess what it's going to do? It's going to open up a dialogue to talk about Jesus, to talk about the essence of what's inside of you that so often comes out under pressure. And so, my friends, I kind of want to wrap that up there. In fact, just one more thing. I'm just going to do the last part here finish the chapter. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. One of the things we talked about was time management. Jesus was an expert at managing time. His time was focused on relationships. And so during the day, his focus was on who? The people. At night, when he went off by himself to Olivet, his focus was on who? His father. Okay? He spent that time with the father. And it's all relationship. And I think we see an incredible example there that sometimes if we're going to help others, we have to be helped too. And our relationship with Jesus is so important to make sure we're spending time and so, when you make your to-do list, I do mine. When I get home t- tonight, I'm going to work on my to-do list. I write in my sp- stuff for my spiritual life, okay? Because I'm realizing more and more, the more healthy I am with God and myself, the better I am for who? For all of you, okay? And that's the way it is in life to make sure we have those priorities straight. And so, Jesus shows a great example for us on relationship. Spending time with the Father and spending time um, with people. We're going to stop there for today and let's, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing love for us. And we thank you for your bluntness. You said it like it really was going to happen. But at the same time, even in the midst of all the challenges, you make it clear that we are to watch ourselves. We need to have ourselves right with you. And Lord, this world has so often influenced us more than your word. And I pray more and more that your word influences us more than the world. Help us to get that straight, Lord, more and more. And and help us not to be thinking in terms of the world's way of looking at things. A world that focuses on emotion and feeling. You've given us a mind to think and to watch and observe And Lord, as we go through life, help us to take more time to observe ourselves. To be honest with ourselves. That you will help us to to live by your truth more and more and, and, and find the freedom you want for us to have. The joy and the peace you want us to have. And the love that you want us to share. Thank you for showing us example. In the midst of this challenging world and, and even with the scary times that might be ahead, we don't have no reason to fear because through you we are more than conquerors no matter what situation we ever face. And we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.